What time is it? We're probably going to have a uh, call to prayer in the middle of this episode. Oh, that'll be fun. We had one in the last episode, not the bonus episode, but the uh, the last main episode. Episode mm-hmm. 12. Yeah. What episode is this? 13. Oh my god. We're already halfway through the season. Yeah. That's crazy. I feel like we just started this yesterday. It does feel like that. Wow. I can't believe we're already halfway through the season. And last I checked, we had over 150 listens. That's awesome. It's awesome. I want more though, guys. So share, share, share. Yeah. Well, shall we get started? Sure. Do we have enough banter? I don't know. I'm sure there'll be more. Probably. If there's not, then you really need to pick it up, girlfriend. Thank you, Suzanne and Dave, our neighbors in Montenegro, because they left a lovely review on Apple Podcasts, and I was so happy to see you it. You didn't tell me that. What'd they say? I forgot. I wrote it in here, and then I forgot. <laughs> Hi there, neighbors. Welcome back to The Next Town Over. I'm Carson Costa, and I'm here with my co-host, Nicole Bennett. Hey. Today we're asking, parlez-vous français? And, que Havatsky? As we dive into the challenge of learning a foreign language, it's a great skill for anyone to have, whether you use it to reach more customers at work, to discuss local politics in a foreign country, or make sure you're getting the right thing at the supermarket. Perks, tips, and our favorite language learning tools are all ahead. If we're going to be talking about language learning, let's talk a little bit about the languages that we have learned. I think the first language other than English that I was exposed to from a young age was Spanish. That's mm-hmm. just the area we grew up in. But I didn't start taking Spanish much more distinctly until high school. Mm-hmm. But it was still the, like, the one I was exposed to the most. Yeah, I always wonder if... Because we had like a teacher that would come into our class and teach us Spanish half an hour once a week in elementary school. Yeah. And I always wonder if that was a thing in all the states or if that was just the states that were closer to Mexico and maybe states closer to the Canadian border had French. Yeah, not a clue. Or if other states didn't do that at all. So if you grew up in another state and you have input on that, please write in and tell us because that's something I've always been curious about. But yeah, that was my earliest language learning experience too, was learning that in in elementary school and they just taught us the weather and the numbers and colors colors. and played games in Spanish. So we learned some words. Yeah. I think it was good in the sense that it exposed our brains to language learning at an early age, though I wish there had been more of it and it had been more structured. So that was my first like real experience. Then going on to high school and taking four years of Spanish in high school and continuing that on into college. Mm -hmm. I never really took to it and I now that I'm an adult looking back, I think I just didn't put in enough like actual effort mm-hmm. in part because I thought I would not properly use it mm-hmm. or that I would never become fluent enough that it would make a difference, which is funny now. Yeah. Because I travel all the time and the amount of times it would have been very helpful for me to be fluent in Spanish. It's laughable. Yeah. Both in my travel experience and in my work. Mm-hmm. And other places in school and, like, later down the road. There's just so many instances where being bilingual would have helped immensely. Yeah. I had the travel bug from an early age because we hosted an exchange student from France and I was, like, six. And I just remember wanting to grow up to be her. And she was talking about all these places. that, And I wanted to go to all of them. So I've had the travel bug basically my entire life. But I hadn't really thought about languages. And I wasn't that into languages. And then in middle school, in eighth grade, we had the choice of electives. And I picked, honestly, I don't remember. I remember one of them was a creative writing class, and I don't remember what the other one was. But and then my backup too, all three of them, I wasn't able to take one of them, they canceled the class. And then the other ones, the classes were full. They were like, you have to pick a class. And I kept picking classes. And they kept saying, sorry, that's full. Sorry, we canceled that. And I was like, Okay, what is still open? And the counselor sort of looked down her list and she goes, Spanish. And I was like, okay, great. Put me in Spanish then. Whatever. I don't know why you bother giving me a choice when that's, but okay, sure. And so she put me in Spanish and I, within two weeks, was like, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me in my entire life. And I fell completely in love with languages. From that point on, I would buy little phrase books and dictionaries at garage sales and just go home and study them in all sorts of 
random languages. That really kicked off my obsession with languages. And I ended up taking both language options in high school, which everyone thought was insane. But I remember thinking that. Everyone thought it was insane. And it was worse because I had Spanish first thing in the morning. And immediately after that, I had French. So I had the 10 minute break in between classes to switch my brain from Spanish to French. Which, yeah, we definitely all thought you were insane. Yeah, my teachers would all laugh at me. But you know what? I got Foreign Language Student of the Year Award when we graduated because I was the only kid in the entire school that took both languages. <laughs> nice. I remember when I was sitting down to decide which you know language to take because taking both wasn't on my radar. Yeah. French or Spanish. And it's like, oh, really like French. French is so beautiful. And I'd love to learn it. Love to go to France someday. And my mom talked me out of it because she was. She said that learning Spanish would be more useful. And not that she was wrong. Mm-hmm. Mom, you were right. However, if I had had some background in French, learning French and being in French-speaking countries, currently as I am, would be much easier. Yeah. Because you having taken French, like, I'm relying on you a lot. I'm like, mm-hmm. what does this mean? What does that mean? I'm trying to look things up. And you're like, no, no, it's pronounced ugh, not ugh. I'm like, I don't know the difference. And to be fair, it's been 10 years since I've spoken French. But I did get a little extra practice because when I did my exchange year, which is how I learned German through total immersion, I took French, like an intermediate French class at my school in Germany. So they were teaching a class in German, which I didn't know. And they were teaching me French, which their French classes do not line up with our French classes in the States. So it was almost like starting over from, from scratch because they had learned vocabulary that I hadn't learned yet. And they were learning vocabulary that I hadn't learned yet. So <laughs> I was like, I didn't know what was going on half the time. But by the end of the year, I could go from German to French and back again without using English at all. Not even thinking the translations in English in my head, just straight back and forth. Which is awesome. It was really, really cool. And I felt awesome for having accomplished that. But yeah, then I let it slide. And so now my French is kind of terrible and I have to get it back. That's okay. We practice. We practice. We're we're currently in a French-speaking country and we're moving to France. Yeah. So, you know, practice. Practice. Practice makes perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, one thing that when I got into college, because Spanish never really stuck with me. Mm. I didn't put in the, the effort as I ought to have, but that's neither here nor there. But what language did really hit and strike home was American Sign Language. Mm -hmm. I took four semesters of it. And I took like, because it's six semesters, but um, I took the fast route where I took semesters one and two in the same unit uh, or the same semester. Because they just were like, yeah, if you think you're going to do this quickly, here you go. So I breezed through them. And I remember the, the highest compliment I got was when I was going to have scheduling conflicts And my professor said that I could just bump up to the next level because I was that good. Nice. I was by no means fluent, but I really connected with that. And I love that language and being a part of that community as a hearing person looking from the outside. It was it was truly special and great. And I really want to go back to learning my sign language because it's a really beautiful language. But it just clicked in ways that other languages still haven't. That's really cool because... And I haven't put in a ton of effort to learn sign language, but I remember Mrs. McKeon mm-hmm. in fourth grade. She taught us some sign language. And I also had a friend on my exchange year that was deaf and used sign language. She tried to teach us some things too. And it never clicked with me the same way that that spoken languages do. But I would like to learn it because I think it's important. But it just, I find it more difficult than <laughs> Which is fair. There was something about it I couldn't really put my finger on. (laughs) Pun intended. (laughs) Every time they would show me the sign for, like, the word, I'm like, oh, that makes sense. Mm. Every time. And there's sometimes I'm like, oh, no, this is the sign for that. And other people would be so confused as to how we got there. I'm like, oh, to me, that just seems like it. Of course it is. And it seems to not be as common as it is in my brain. Right. Yeah. That's always how I felt with French. When I started learning French, I was like, this just, it makes something inside me very, very happy. And it feels very natural to me. And I don't know why that is, but I've always felt an affinity for for French in particular. 
So I really want to get my French back. I want to get my Spanish back. Actually, my goal is to be fluent in 10 languages before I die. Got a lot of good starts. I believe in you. I started trying to learn Arabic before we came to Morocco, which I was making some decent progress, I think. It just was, it's really slow going and the French took priority because we are going to be spending three months living in France. And they but I'm speak, coming back to Arabic. And they speak French in Morocco. So yeah, that's, so that's also their like absolute go-to. They see two white women coming up. They're like, ah, we speak French. <laughs> French. Yeah. Even though we don't speak French. <laughs> it's kind of funny. <laughs> We kind of touched on some of the ways that you can learn languages as we were discussing our history with languages, but let's dive into it a little more specifically. So high school classes, I think most people will be familiar with that. In the United States, it's a lot less common than in other countries. For us, language learning is mostly optional. You might be required to take one or two years of a language in high school, and it's encouraged that you take up to four for uh, getting accepted into college purposes. In other countries, it's quite common for you to have mandatory language classes, at the very least English, if not a third language. Yeah, those ones are just as built into the curriculum as science and history. Yeah, which I think it puts us at a disadvantage. Oh, massively. Honestly, I, I really feel that a foreign language of some kind should be required in schools because, I mean, we're going to talk about it later, but there's so many amazing thing, amazing benefits to learning a language. Not just that then you know a foreign language, which is really cool and enables you to communicate with other people and it makes traveling feel a lot more accessible, but all of the benefits for your mind and the way that it trains your brain, it's amazing. So we'll talk about that later. Also... So there's a thing out there in the world that I didn't learn about until until I was on my exchange year, where there are language-specific schools, like for elementary schools and high schools and stuff in the States. So I had a friend on exchange. His name was Zach. He was from Minnesota. Hi, Zach. Shout out. <laughs> <laughs> Love you, buddy. Uh, he attended a elementary school where they taught exclusively in Spanish. And the students were, you know, Spanish was their second language. So by the time he left that school, he was completely 100% fluent in Spanish. That's so cool. So wait, in elementary school, you're still learning like basic English. Were they also learning basic English? Yes. Yeah. They had an English class. You know, they would teach it. But the history and science and everything was taught in Spanish. Spanish, yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. And he also went to a summer camp. Where from the moment you set foot on the property until the moment you left, you were not allowed to speak any language except for German. That's crazy. Awesome, but crazy. And he said the first summer it was it was kind of terrifying <laughs> and awful. <laughs> um, at least that's what I remember. It's been, you know, nine years since we had this conversation. But I remember him saying the first year was rough. And then by the end of the first the first summer, he really spoke a lot of German. And he'd been doing this for several years at that point. So by the time he was on exchange in Germany, all the Germans were like, are you sure you're not just German? Are you, are you sure you don't live here? That's so cool. Yeah. So that's a massive advantage. I was super jealous. Yeah. But apparently those exist. And that is a way to go about learning a language. And if that's something that's really important to you for your ki- your children, think about it. I don't know. I don't know where to find those, but I'm sure a quick internet search would probably get you there. Yeah. I want to mention that like kids who grew up in homes where they meet, they speak more than one language. Obviously, that's something you just have to be born into. It's not mm. something you can sneak out as a student. Right. So I was going to bring that up, but I was like, that's not I'm thinking about that. It's like, but it is, it is something of note, though, because we all learn our first language that way, you know, just by immersion and being surrounded by it. and having our parents and adults in our lives speak to us in that language. So that is a path of language learning. It's just that most of us don't think about that. But shout out to April. Yeah, that's exactly what I was <laughs> Her parents came to the United States from Holland, the Netherlands, and they spoke to her in Dutch while she was growing up. 
so, and I think I've mentioned this before, but when we would get in trouble, they would yell at her in Dutch and I would just be sitting there like, I have no idea what's going on. (laughs) So then you always have the opportunity of taking a college course. And I think one thing I like about that is that you don't have to be in college to go back and take a college class in a language. And I think that that's a really great use of college classes. If you're going to sign up as a non-degree seeking student just to learn a skill, I think languages, that's a great way to learn a language. A lot of skills, it's fairly easy to do the research on your own, get some practice on your own, and develop that skill without having to go back for a class. But languages are so inherently related to communicating with others that taking a class is often the best way to do it. And I think that if you go back and just do it as a non-degree seeking student, it takes a lot of pressure off of you. Mm -hmm. Because I I remember taking Spanish in college and the pressure of like doing well in a language that I had been studying for four years and still hadn't clicked with. Mm. And it, you know, it's my first semester in college and I was so scared and so nervous that this was going to impact my GPA until I graduated that I dropped out because I was so anxious about it all. Right. I dropped out, thankfully, in time for it to not affect poorly. And that's when I switched to American Sign Language, mm-hmm. my saving grace. <laughs> <laughs> but I think going back as a non-degree seeking student really lets you just do it for the enjoyment and the purpose of learning and not for the grade. Yeah. Yeah. Though if you need to get language credits during college, then obviously it's a great opportunity to learn a language. I mean, both sides, but going back and doing it can be a more pleasant experience than your first initial you know, foray into college. Right. So of course, if you don't want to go back to college, you can always take an online course. Right. There are plenty of those out there in the ether. I think the biggest problem with those is picking one. Yeah. And knowing that you're getting your money's worth. I don't know. I haven't done one of those independent online courses. And I know there are good ones out there. I just, I feel like there's better ways of doing it. Yeah. But hey, that's an option. And particularly because if you're going to take a class, I would do it in person because, again, languages are about communicating with other people. If you're just going to take an online class, you can just as easily buy a book and get an app and do it on your own that way. Yeah, unless you have, like, aspects of the class that are, like, Zoom and interactive in that sense. Yeah. I think that's the only way I could see language learning. But even then, I mean, wouldn't you rather be in a classroom with other people then? I mean, sure, but I could just figure how, like, it can work if you if your only option is an online yeah, source. that's fair. So that's an option that you might want to look into. Immersive experience. This is how I learned German. <laughs> they just dropped me in with a bunch of people that didn't speak English and called it good. <laughs> but you learn. I did learn. Yeah. And this can often be the fastest way to learn a language because when you are surrounded by that language, Day in and day out, when you go to school or work, you're surrounded by that language. When you come home, the people that you live with speak that language. All the friends that you make speak that language. Everywhere you go, it's that language. It's kind of impossible not to learn. Well, even when we were living in Croatia, and yes, we spoke English with each other and with our friends, but even just living there where everything's in Croatian, we inadvertently picked up a lot more Croatian than we actively studied. Yeah, but I wouldn't call what we did immersion. No, no, by, not by we, It was definitely increased exposure, but I wouldn't call it full immersion. I wasn't calling it full immersion. I just no. meant that, like, even though we weren't fully immersed, hmm. because we had the increase of exposure, we still learned a lot more Croatian than I think we would have otherwise. Right. Yes, and I agree. It's definitely easier when you are exposed to it on a regular basis particularly from native speakers. So obviously this involves some travel in order to get that full immersive experience. Uh, But it is the fastest way to learn a language. You can become completely fluent in a year. And it's also possibly the most painful. It's exhausting because your brain is having to work double time on everything all the time. So it is totally exhausting When I was doing this, I got a lot more headaches than I ever had before in my life. I noticed like, and I think part of it was probably culture shock too, but emotional turbulence. And sometimes I'd be so frustrated and be like, I would give anything just to hear somebody speak English right now. So it's definitely the most difficult, but it's also the most efficient. You can also do an immersion course, which we interviewed Dave and Nancy back in episodes three and four of the the podcast. 
And during their bicycle trip from Fairbanks, Alaska to Ushuaia, Argentina, which is basically Tierra del Fuego for anyone who doesn't know Ushuaia, they stopped for three months in Nicaragua to take an immersion course. And they obviously were like still spoke a lot of English at home with each other, but they were taking a class while they were immersed in this community in order to learn Spanish more quickly. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. One of the ways that my ASL class, I think it was level six, ensured that we were learning well is that we weren't allowed to talk. We entered that classroom, voices were off, and we were only allowed to use sign language the entire class. It's not as immersive, but it's, you know, it was pretty good. And you could really see the improvement being made. It was also really funny when someone would walk into a classroom, like expecting it to be an active classroom and everyone's just sitting there signing. So it's dead quiet. (laughs) (laughs) And they'd walk in and they're like, "Ah, um, sorry. And they just start whispering. You're like, it's fine. You can talk. You can talk. You're we not can. taking the class. You're allowed to talk. We're yeah. not allowed to talk. Yeah. I just thought that was funny because that was definitely a tool that we used in um, my sign class. Right. And then, of course, there is self-study, which there's tons of books and tools available. Uh, you can obviously buy the textbooks for any course that you might take at a college level or a high school level. You can also buy like readers. I actually, I have a easy French reader that I've kind of been working through where it has passages of text and then it has problems and, you know, it's basically a workbook. Uh, There's also lots of apps, which we're going to talk about in more depth later. There's tons and tons and tons of things out there for learning languages. I think there's sort of a fascination with learning languages because it seems like there are a wider range and just more tools and books and things for learning languages than there are for any other specific subject. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Sure seems that way. These are inherently limited because, like we said, languages are about communicating with other people. And if you're just doing self-study, you're not doing that. So, yeah, there are a couple times, especially learning the French right now, even though I'm using an app and I can hear the way it sounds, I don't have any direct feedback on whether or not my pronunciation is correct. So I'm struggling a lot with that. Yeah, it's hard. Which I'm sure that the French will correct me once we get there. <laughs> oh, yeah. They probably will have no qualms correcting you. Which is fine. That's how you yeah. learn. That is how you learn. I don't actually appreciate that. It kind of drives me crazy when I'm somewhere and I'm trying to use that language and nobody will correct me. I'm like, I want to learn. I want to improve. I want to do better. Please, please. Like help me and tell me when I'm doing it wrong. Yeah. Especially if I'm butchering the way this is supposed to be said. Please fix it. Because I notice a lot of times in Germany, people will be like, oh my God, your German's so good. And I'm always like, oh, please tell me if I'm, you know, can say something better, if I'm mispronouncing something. And they're like, no, 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 your German is so good. It's so good. But then every once in a while, when I really, really push somebody, they'll go, well, I mean, technically you shouldn't say it this way. You should say it this way. I'm like, why wouldn't you tell me that? So why are there so many languages in the world? Because if you're looking for a language to learn to study, you have more than 7,000 options. Yeah, casual. There's a lot of languages in the world. So learning 10 in your lifetime really puts it in perspective. Yeah. And I mean, 7,000. I think that most people would probably be surprised by that number. Because when you think about languages, you typically think, oh, English, French, German, Spanish, Portuguese, Arabic, um, Chinese, Japanese, Korean, and you kind of start running out. Yeah, people think that there's like one or two sign languages. They think there's a universal sign language, which isn't true. Yeah. So like, yeah, your preconceived notions of what languages are is very... Very small. And then, you know, you might have some people getting into Gaelic or Hawaiian or Navajo. They start listing off some of those more. But I don't, I think most people would, if they had to guess, say, oh, there's probably like a thousand, two thousand. Yeah. No, there's more than 7,000 in the world. So there are a lot more languages in tropical regions than temperate zones. So, for example, New Guinea, which is an island in the southwestern Pacific, 
has over 900 languages. This is a little island, guys. I mean, it's not that big. It has over 900 languages. Well, Russia has 105. Why? Honestly, no one knows why. I thought you had all the answers. Dang it. I do not have all the answers. <laughs> there are some theories, um, but this hasn't really been researched super well or super thoroughly. There have been some studies, been on a lot of duplications of the studies, things like that. Plus, the world's kind of a big place and they think there might be different reasons in different places. And there have definitely been some theories. You know, if you ask anyone, why do you think this might be? People can come up with ideas like isolation from each other causes languages to develop differently, kind of like evolution. I did find an article by Michael Gavin, who is a professor at Colorado State University. He was involved with a study that started in 2010. They specifically looked at Australia, hypothesized that rainfall and limitations on group size might impact language development. And then they ran simulations, computer-based simulations, on that hypothesis and historical data. So they had like a rain map and a sort of replicator that made the group size grow and then had it divide when it reached a certain point. The model turned out incredibly similar to reality. So in reality, Australia had 406 Aboriginal languages prior to European involvement. 406. And they were mostly concentrated in the north and along coastlines. In the model... It predicted 407 languages, mostly concentrated in the north and along coastlines. If you look at the maps, they're remarkably similar. There are a couple of places where it's slightly off, you know, by 50 miles or something. But it's kind of amazing how close they got. So that's promising, but it obviously doesn't hold up in other areas. So the team has now hypothesized that various geographical and environmental limitations combined with those limits on group size can provide an explanation. But obviously that requires more research. I mean, that is fascinating, though. I know. I found it really, really interesting that apparently these groups, when they reached a certain size, they would just split because in the hunter-gatherer times, they couldn't function once you got to a certain point where it was too big to know everyone in your group. And then they would develop specific languages within their group. It's really, really interesting. So given that there are so many languages in the world, how do you pick one to learn? You throw a dart. You th- Okay, well, that's an option. You could do that. <laughs> you just sure. put a list up on the wall and you just throw a dart and you stick with it. Or your school only offers one option, so you're kind of <laughs> stuck with it anyway. Yeah. Or you can think about all the languages that you've always wanted to learn. Pick one. Like you said, you've always wanted to learn French. I always wanted to learn Chinese, but I'm not sure that's in my future at the moment. Maybe one day. Maybe one day. One day. But yeah. but if there's a language that has just always kind of tickled your fancy for whatever reason, like maybe you were obsessed with the Romans as a child and so you always wanted to learn Italian. Or maybe you've always wanted to visit the Great Wall of China, so you thought it'd be really cool to pick up Chinese. Go for it. Yeah. Yeah, do that. Try to stick with living languages because I was obsessed with the Romans and I tried to learn Latin. That doesn't go very well. <laughs> Dead, so. Yeah, the, the dead languages are a whole other... Still cool, still worth studying. Oh, totally. It's just they're they're much more difficult to learn. Yeah. Yeah. I remember my mom was shocked that I wanted to spend my birthday money on a Latin for dummies. <laughs> but she's like, this is... Seriously? I'm like, yes. How is... old were you? Probably like 14. Oh. Uh, she's like, this is what you want? I'm like, yes, it is. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. Renewing a rusty skill. If, like us, you took languages in high school, but maybe didn't keep up with them after the fact. (coughs) (laughs) Hey, same. (laughs) You can give it a go trying to pick those languages back up and renew that skill and get back what you lost. Yeah, it's still there in in pieces and parts. And that might be an easier way to start as well, because... There's already a foundation for it. Yes, Thank you. Which is funny that, like, you mentioned the foundation because in learning French, because it's a romance language, a lot of my Spanish is coming back when I'm not asking for it. We'll be talking about something and I'm like, oh, I've got the word. Oh, wrong language. It came up in Spanish instead of French. And then I can't stop thinking of the Spanish word. And you're like, that's not correct. I'm like, I know it's not. I kept trying to think of I sleep in French and I kept coming up with yo duermo. (laughs) which is Spanish. And I don't know why, because they're not that close. Je dors. Mm-hmm. Je dors is I sleep in French. Anyway, if you have plans to go somewhere, you might want to try picking up some of the language. For example, my cousin just got married 
And for their honeymoon, they went to Greece. So he's been practicing Greek on Duolingo for the last couple months. Good for him. I tried doing that before I went to Greece. Mm-hmm. It helped. It was rough. Again, it's similar to learning Arabic. It's learn new letters, and it's yeah. tough. Yeah. Anytime you have to learn new letters, that's going to make it more difficult. So if you just want to dip your toe in the water, I would recommend not doing that. Yeah. Start with something that is relatively close to English or um, at the very least shares the same alphabet. Another consideration would be a skill that will benefit you in your career. For example, if you work for a company that has its head offices in the Netherlands, maybe you want to learn Dutch. Or if you work in a community that has a large population of Spanish speakers, Maybe learn Spanish. Again, it would have been massively helpful in a lot of my jobs if I had spoken Spanish as I had been taught. Or if you're looking at a transfer, maybe your company has a lot of different offices in different countries and you're hoping to get a transfer to to Egypt. I mean, that would be a difficult (laughs) language to learn. So it's kind of a bad example. But yeah, but I mean, companies from all over the world, you know, so you can. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of options. And they're definitely more likely to pick you if they know they speak that you speak some of that language. Yeah. There so. have been companies I've, you know, looked for and their biggest thing was like, oh, well, do you speak French mm. or do you speak German? I'm like, well, no. But they're like, well, then this is not the right position for you. Yeah. <laughs> I can try. And that's another thing is just knowing another language often can aid you in a job search, even if it isn't specific to that company. A lot of times companies like to have people on staff that speak different languages so that in the event that they're dealing with a customer that only speaks that language, they have someone available that can translate. Yeah. So consider that. And the last point that I had on here was heritage. A lot of people like to learn languages that their ancestors spoke. So if your family came from, trying to think of a country that I haven't listed yet, Romania, maybe you want to learn Romanian. Or if, I don't know, I'm running out of things now (laughs) we can always go back to the irish the irish yeah and actually that's a big one because a lot of obviously in ireland they speak english now so preserving the gaelic is a big deal and so the more people learning gaelic the more it's preserved and that's nice we like that and that brings us to endangered languages According to the Endangered Language Project, there are 3,461 endangered languages. That's nearly half of all languages. Wow. And an endangered language is any language where there aren't many speakers left and there are fewer each year. So they're predicting that eventually it's going to die out entirely. And some of these languages, there's like one or two speakers left in the world. They're just barely hanging on. And as soon as those people who are typically quite old pass away, then that's it. It's a dead language. Imagine how that feels. It's one thing to be the end of your family line. It's another thing to be the end of your language. I mean, in a lot of ways, it's the end of your cultural line. Because so many languages tied so intricately into our culture and our sense of self that when these these languages die out, there's sort of this sense that we will never fully be able to understand these cultures ever again. Of course, obviously, these cultures still exist we still know about them we still know how things worked but when you can't describe something in the language that was intended you lose something you're always going to lose something in translation there are words in other languages that just don't have an equivalent in any other language and it's weird because when i was learning german at first i was just looking at the dictionary definitions you know switching from one word to another based on the dictionary and i had this yellow dictionary that I carried with me everywhere I went. I mean, I brought this thing to gym class. Then this other student in my class, he came up to me and he took the dictionary away from me and he said, you don't need this. And he walked away. And that was like my second week in Germany. I mean, I spoke no German, but I was using that dictionary as a shield. And I came to realize that when I learned words based on context or by the locals explaining to me what it meant, I got a sense for them that I never could have gotten from the dictionary. And then when I would come back and say things in German, people would ask me to translate. And there were some words I just stopped and I was like, I don't know a word for that in English. 
There isn't one. I could spend a paragraph explaining to you the general idea of what it means, but you're still not going to really understand it Mm -hmm. (laughs) until you've experienced what that word means in that culture. Yeah. Well, and English has some of those too. Like Mm -hmm. um, we have the word quenched for when you were no longer thirsty. Mm -hmm. You've quenched that thirst, but that there isn't a word for that in German, right? You were simply, you simply stopped being thirsty and similar um, things happen in sign language. There are certain signs that I know and I understand the feeling behind it. But when people ask me what it means, I'm like, well, it kind of means this, but it also means that. But it can be applied to these things. Mm. And it's one of my favorite signs. But yeah, I know what you mean. Like, there's just certain things that don't translate directly. Yeah. And that's so intricately woven into the culture. So with these endangered languages, that's why it's important that we find ways to preserve them. If that is something that you're interested in or if there's a particular culture that you care about, then learning that endangered language is a great way to help preserve that. So let's dive into language learning practices and ways that you can learn at home. So we're going to start off with apps. Yay. We all have phones now. Well, I don't know about all, but, you know, most of us. So we both use Duolingo. I love Duolingo, personally. I like it a lot more now that I have the full version. Mm -hmm. The free version was helpful, but, I mean, they have to make money somehow, so the full version is far more helpful. Yeah. I learn a lot more. I've always felt that it was worth it. I mean, when I uh, switched to premium, I was like, oh, this is cool. Yeah. And I definitely thought it was worth it. And I actually just switched to the pro version that they just released, which has AI. So, like, you can have conversations with the characters that where they will respond to what you have said specifically. And then afterwards, Duo will look over the conversation and give you tips on how you can explain things in a different way or, like, what makes more sense in the language and So that's a really, really useful tool. The pro version is a lot more expensive, though. But I do really like Duolingo. I think they've done a really good job with the app and making it easy to make a habit of it. Uh, They use a lot of motivational, like, competition-type things and rewards and stuff like that, which is great. Yeah, I like it. I've enjoyed using it. Yeah, upgrading to the premium made a big difference. But when I was just learning some of the basics of any given language, because I probably have like 15 on there that I just was like, hey, I'm curious. Mm-hmm. I think it was a good way to start and, you know, dip your toes in without it being too serious. It gave you a good ability to build up some of the more subtle basics. Yeah. I think Duolingo, I think they could do a better job of explaining some of the concepts. I agree. But I think they do a pretty good job of including a good balance of vocab, grammar, writing, listening, reading, speaking. Though the speaking, like you said, they don't really have a way to give feedback on that, which is not great. They just don't record it if you did it too too badly. Yeah. There have been times when I'm like, I will just butcher and chuggle my way through a word. And they're like, that doesn't count. Try again. Like, okay. Well, yeah. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Another app that we both use is Drops. This is best just for vocab learning. It's basically a flashcards app. I did like it, though, because it gives you the opportunity to learn things that you might actually use on a trip to this place. Yeah. Where they speak that language. Because unlike Duo, Drops gives you, like, phrases and, like, I need to use the restroom. I turn left. Where can I find the hospital? Things that are... I'm allergic to peanuts. I'm allergic to peanuts. Yeah, you can learn things like that. Yeah. Which Duo doesn't give you. It gives you phrases and words and grammar to build up your skills, but Drops gives you the actual phrases you'll learn and use on like a two-week vacation. Right. So if you're just trying to learn some phrases to get by wherever you're going on vacation, I definitely recommend Drops over Duo. Yeah. I think, yeah, because I use, we use Drops to learn Croatian and I think that it helped. Yeah, it helped. It got us a lot more comfortable. Though sometimes with Drops, I've noticed... There, there, every once in a while, a word pops up that I'm like, I don't think that's right. 
Or it's like, that might technically be the word, but is that the instance that I would use That's not how they would use it. Yeah. I don't know. I... Drops, I always kind of like raise my eyebrow out a little bit because I there have been some instances where I'm not entirely sure how accurate it is. Yeah. I think it's generally pretty good, but I also would take it with a grain of salt. And I would probably only really recommend drops for people that are just trying to learn some phrases in order to get through their vacation. Yeah. And their monthly subscription was pretty reasonable if mm-hmm. it, if you're just wanting to learn the basic phrases. But the free version is also great. It's like five minutes a day. Yeah. It's on a timer. And what you learn is what you learn. Yeah. It's pretty relaxed. Yeah. But I that's the thing I don't like about their free version, though, is that once you do the five minutes, you're not allowed to do anything else. No, you can just go back and, like, look at your vocab that you've already done. You can't yeah. learn anything new. So then there's Babbel is a really, really popular one. I used it for, like, two weeks about seven years ago. So I can't really speak to Babbel. I remember at the time feeling like I liked Duolingo better, but that might also be just because I'm more familiar with Duolingo. Uh, And that obviously was several years ago, and I know that they have grown and adapted and stuff since then. It gets a lot of really great reviews. I have seen reviews saying that it does a better job of explaining why something is the way it is, like the grammar rules, than Duolingo does. So that might be something of interest to you. I've never tried Babbel. Maybe I'll look into it. Yeah. And I was kind of thinking about looking into it, too. I've also been always thought about using Rosetta Stone, but I never have. Honestly, I feel like Rosetta Stone is overpriced. I think it's I think it's overpriced and overrated. We yeah. sold them in uh, the bookstore I worked for. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of seemed like a lot of pomp and circumstance. Yeah, I... I did it for a little while. I got, I can't remember which one I did, but I did try using Rosetta Stone for a little while and I was extremely disappointed. I remember thinking that the activities on Duolingo were more immersive, more fun, and covered more content. Hmm. So I was like, what? why? I remember some of the, like, and this may have been when it was newer like 15 years ago when i was like 20 years ago well i was gonna say when i, when I was a kid and i could remember things mm. was that it was like something you put on on your tape yeah. or in your cd and your car and listen to it on your way and you're driving all that yeah which was great for the time but now we have so many podcasts and like books and language learning tools that you can use that way that rosetta stone seems a little obsolete with that yeah i agree i think rosetta stone I don't know. I I wouldn't waste my money on it personally, but it is one compact sort of course. So if you like that, where it's something that you can just buy once and then work your way through it and then be done with it, sure. But I don't know how effective it really is. Yeah. Okay. Books and media. So like I mentioned earlier, I have a little reader workbook thing for French. And you can buy all sorts of workbooks for languages. If you stop by Barnes Noble or really any bookstore, you are guaranteed to find a bunch of workbooks. Um, You can find them online. Like I said, you can find out what workbooks they're using for language classes at colleges or schools in your area and just buy those ones (laughs) from McGraw-Hill or whoever else. Scholastic. Yeah, Barnes & Noble actually has a lot, like, a massive language learning section. That's where a lot of people go to get their workbooks for, like, their college courses. Mm -hmm. It's from Barnes & Noble. It's my favorite to just, like, sit in that area and just kind of leaf through it. Yeah. I love that section. I go to that section every time I go to Barnes & Noble, and I cannot tear myself away. (laughs) What kills me is that they don't put the travel and the language learning right next to each other. It feels like a missed opportunity. It does feel like a missed opportunity. Well, at least at the stores that I've been to, they don't do that. I have never seen that. Yeah. And I've been to a lot of Barnes & Nobles. Hey, Barnes & Noble, here's an idea. (laughs) Here's an idea. Then, of course, you can always just read books. If you're just starting a language, you might want to start with children's books and then graduate to young readers' books, young adults, so on and so forth. But particularly reading a book you're familiar with in another language can be a great way to use your vocabulary and practice, you know, seeing and understanding the words. So I love Pride and Prejudice. I cannot tell you the amount of times I've read the book or listened to the audiobook. It I mean, probably more than 30 times at this point. <laughs> but I bought a French audio 
Pride and Prejudice, and I'm listening to it on like half speed so that I hear the pronunciations and I can follow along more or less. Hmm. It's not as helpful as if it were physically in front of me and I could read it. But I do think it's helping because there are certain times that I have to listen and put context clues together to figure out where we are in the story. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm enjoying that. It's been really helpful, at least for me, to identify things based on how I hear it. Yeah. I When I first started learning German, one of the first things I did was buy a Harry Potter book in German. Perfect. And I started reading that, Harry Potter and Philosopher's Stone in German, which was great. But I also sort of totally embarrassed myself because my German teacher, <laughs> my, my I German, remember the story. Okay. My German teacher, he was totally cool with me just sitting in the back and like practicing my vocab and stuff during class because he was like, you don't speak German. I'm not going to ask you to, you know, analyze this German poem because that seems silly. And so he saw me reading Harry Potter in German and he was like, oh, you should read aloud to the class. That is a brilliant idea. And I was like, oh, no. So anyway, he has me start reading aloud to the class. And so I'm reading in German and I'm trying to do it in my best German accent. And then I came to Dudley's name. And I was trying to do it in a German accent. And this was when I first started learning German. So I didn't really know what I was doing. And I wasn't sure how they would pronounce Dudley in German. So I sort of paused and I went, Dudley Dursley. And the entire class, like, they were silent for a second. And then they all just busted up laughing at me. <laughs> I was like... But the teacher learned his lesson. <laughs> oh, my God. He never made me reel out again. <laughs> hey, that might be a useful tool. Purposely embarrass yourself from the, you know, in front of the teacher and everything. So they'll never ask you for another thing again. Yeah, but I was mortified. And I there were kids in my class that still, at the end of the school year, were like, hey, Carson... Doodly Dursley. <laughs> and I was like, I didn't know. Okay, I tried. Leave me alone. <laughs> For clarification, would you just pronounce it Dudley? Yeah. 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 Just like Dudley Dursley. Yeah. That sounded far more German. You're right. Yeah. But I didn't know. <laughs> it was, again, it was like maybe two or three weeks into my, my exchange year. I knew no German. I knew Schmetterling and Dunkeschern. <laughs> for the record i'm drinking water and i'm trying so hard not to spit on her every time <laughs> oh my god <laughs> so anyway i recommend reading books i don't recommend reading them out loud well okay no i, I recommend re- <laughs> Sorry. no i okay i recommend reading them out loud alone in a room by, <laughs> by yourself <laughs> are you okay guys i think i've killed nicole you good? No. Well, I can picture us sitting like a load in my <laughs> closet. Just. <laughs> so I'm going to move on to movies and TV. Yeah. Which are episode 11, where we interviewed Maya Savage. Hey, Shout out to Maya. Uh, she mentioned that in Croatia, Lots and lots of people speak at least some amount of English because the movies and TV there typically aren't translated into Croatian. The voices aren't translated into Croatian. They have subtitles in Croatian, but the voices are in English. So they're constantly exposed to English through movies and TV. And that is something that you can do to yourself on purpose by simply changing the uh, audio settings, the audio settings, the language to you know whatever language you want it to be in. Which is something I'm also trying to do, is trying to watch, like, my favorite Disney movies in French. Mm. Which, it kind of hurts a little, because you're so used to the voices, and the way they speak, and then you're like, oh, this is unnatural, I don't like it. Yeah, sometimes it's, the voices are so different that you're like, I can't even get into this. But sometimes it's really fun, if it's done well, so... Yeah, find some things that you like and that feel comfortable for you to watch and watch those in another language. And I recommend it first doing it with the English subtitles on the bottom. And then as you grow more confident, do it with the French subtitle or the foreign language subtitles on the bottom. 
so that that way you're matching up the words with what they're saying. But in the beginning, it helps to just be able to understand what's going on. Then, of course, there's music and radio. It's always good to listen to music in a foreign language, though it is more beneficial if you actually get the lyrics from somewhere and figure out what they mean, uh, as opposed to just listening to the music. And then there's always radio shows and podcasts. There's a podcast that I sometimes listen to. It's called News in Slow French. And what I like about that is that they do slow it down so that you can listen to the words and understand what they're saying and take a minute to be like, okay, and that word means this and that word means this. Because a lot of times the news programs in foreign languages, they speak so quickly that you cannot catch a single word of what they're saying. Right. I listen to, well, about six months ago, I was Coffee Break German. I listened to Coffee Break French and I really like them. And they're, they're really well done. The the people that make them really know what they're doing. So that's, I highly recommend that for whatever language you might be learning. They've got six or seven languages now, I think. Yeah. Italian, German, French, Spanish. Portuguese. Portuguese. Uh, I think they start one Chinese too. Yeah. I know they, they started with just Spanish and have been just expanding ever since. And they're, it, those are really, really good podcasts. Yeah, I really like them. I'm also listening to one that it's designed as a play with the purpose of someone is going into a French lesson as if you're listening to a play. But it's all done in French, but it's very slow and very remedial French as a way to build up your skills. Then, of course, communication. So getting a pen pal online or otherwise. The summer before my exchange year, I connected with some of the other exchange students online. And one of them, we connected before uh, before we went on exchange, and he wanted to practice his English, and I wanted to practice my Spanish. So I would write to him in Spanish, and he would write to me in English, and we would correct each other's grammar and vocab and stuff. And it was really, really great because we were talking every day, and by the time I actually left for Germany... I was having full conversations with him where I didn't have to translate. I didn't have to think about what I was going to say. I could just type it in Spanish and send it off. And he didn't have to correct my grammar very much anymore. And so at that point, I considered myself pretty fluent in Spanish. And then, of course, I lost it all because I didn't use it for 10 years. But (laughs) yeah, using it helps. Yeah. But so pen pals are great. It helps a lot, particularly if you have a situation like that where you're both trying to learn each other's language and you can help each other. Also, having a buddy to learn with can be beneficial if you actually practice the language with each other. Yeah. Nicole. Oi. (laughs) I came in here today saying I have two croissants. I did that in French. Thank you. You did. I ordered and I ordered. I paid. I did everything in French this morning. Mm -hmm. Duh. That's good. Yeah. What's 11 in French? Très bien. Merci. What's 13 in French? Don't do that to me. This is your fault for telling me that you wanted to practice your numbers more because you didn't know your numbers. I didn't say that. You more or less said that. I said I don't know them. That's how I interpreted it. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know the thing. I do. Let me force it down in the throat. (laughs) (laughs) Well, because we were going shopping. You wanted to buy the chicken. And you were like, I want you to come with me because I don't know my numbers. And so I interpreted that as you need to learn your numbers. Yeah. So, was I wrong? No. No? Did it help? No. Because I walked up and I was like, ah, this many. And I held up my fingers. (laughs) He still gave me the wrong amount. (laughs) He still gave me the wrong amount. Anyway. So, yeah, we are possibly not the best example of having a buddy for (laughs) learning languages because we mostly just talk to each other in English all the time. And we kept saying, like, okay, we're going to move to Italy. We're practicing Italian. We need to use it at home. And And what did we do? Didn't do it. Not that. Not that. <laughs> Not beyond. Hi. How's it going? Do you want coffee? We get really good at asking each other if we want coffee in foreign languages. Yeah. Yeah. I can order coffee in like six languages. Yeah. Mostly because cappuccino is the same in most languages. Yeah, that's true. Okay. Anyway. Anyway, other ideas. One thing that the Rotarians suggested to us exchange students as we were preparing for our year abroad was to label everything in our house. So to get some sticky notes and just put them on everything. Which is what I'm going to be doing today. Yeah. Yeah. And it is good because then you, you 
have reminders to practice all over the house. And also you get used to seeing the word and associating that word with that thing. Which is good. Also, if you challenge yourself to speak only in the language you're learning for a set period each day, I've heard of a lot of people saying, oh, we only use Spanish during dinner. And so then everybody at the table has to speak Spanish during dinner, which is a pain in the butt at first, but it really helps you learn fast. It'd be a very quiet dinner. Although I remember when we were in high school and we both had chemistry, I want to say, and you and I would speak in Spanish when discussing chemistry. Not all the time, but that helped because we both took Spanish courses and we would use that time to speak in Spanish with each other. So we were kind of doing a twofer. Yeah. Okay. Perks of language learning, which include improved memory, problem solving, and critical thinking skills, greater ability to concentrate. Better ability to multitask, improved listening skills, greater creativity and flexibility. Learning a foreign language also slows mental aging and cognitive decline. So they notice in Alzheimer's, uh, the onset of Alzheimer's is on average five years later for people that know foreign languages than people that don't. Cool. It also promotes empathy and tolerance, kind of like what I was saying earlier about how tied into the culture languages are and how you can understand specific ideas in another language better than you would if they were translated. Learning one language makes it easier to pick up others, particularly if they're in the same language family. So once you learn one romance language, it's easier to learn other romance languages. Also decision-making. There was a study at the University of Chicago, which I saw a couple of different reasons given for why it improved decision-making. One of the reasons was when you consider a decision in a second or third language, you distance yourself from it and are more reason-driven. And another reason that I saw was because learning a language forces you to think more about the actual meaning of your words, which then forces you to think more clearly about decisions in terms of what they actually mean. Cool. So, but regardless... Better decision-making skills. It also forces you to think more deeply about your own language. This was something I noticed when I was doing my study abroad in Germany because I was taking an English class as a foreign language. The teacher would frequently ask me questions for clarification of like, oh, why do you do it this way? Or, oh, would you say it this way or this way? What makes more sense to you? What sounds clearer to you? And it forced me to think about Like, why do I use this word instead of this word when they basically have the same meaning? But I can tell you, this is the right one for that situation. Because those are things that we learn instinctively and we don't really know why. Mm -hmm. And figuring that out, it gives you this much more intimate relationship with your own language. And it kind of deepens your connection with yourself, too, because language is such an inherent part of who we are. Right. Yeah, when I was learning sign language... They order things differently than we do in English, which is something else that we just inherently know how to list descriptors in which order. And so when you're doing it in sign language, it's still English words when they're written down, but yeah. you describe and write them differently because you're signing and you're creating a picture with your hands. Mm. So you have to consider how the picture should be drawn first, which is really cool too, because then you are thinking of how to describe something in relations to others in a Totally different way. That's really cool. And a study from Spain's University of Pompeu Fabre found it improves your ability to spot irrelevant, deceptive, and misleading information. Which that alone is a big perk. Yeah. So there's just tons of reasons to learn language. It's so good for your brain health. And it opens up so many possibilities for you in terms of travel and connecting with people. And I really feel that everyone should be fluent in at least one other language. And I know it's a big ask, but I didn't say you had to do it by the time you were 18. <laughs> Got your whole life to learn another language. And I highly suggest it. Highly, highly, highly. I highly recommend. Encourage. <laughs> yeah, I highly recommend at least learning one. And honestly, like me, you know, Spanish didn't stick. Yeah. So maybe you try out one language for a while and you try a different one. Yeah. It's amazing because French is sticking better than Spanish did. Mm. And weirdly enough, aspects of Croatian keep popping up no matter how hard I try, which I never <laughs> thought that would stick. Yeah, stick with me. 
Um, and I'm, I don't know if you noticed when I was practicing my numbers the other day, I was using sign language numbers to match up with the French numbers because the sign language is so stuck in my head. Mm. So it can help you on so many ways. Yeah. And I really enjoy it. So I'm a big advocate for sign language though, too. All right, neighbors. Thanks for joining us today. If you heard something you liked, please support the show by hitting the subscribe button and reviewing us wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find takeaways from today's show in the show notes, and you can find more information about the podcast and show notes for each episode on carsoncosta.com forward slash podcast. Please send us your questions, comments, and suggestions. You can email us at nto at carsoncosta.com, find us on Facebook at NTO pod, or find us on Instagram at nexttownoverpodcast. We would love to hear from you. We'll be back next week to keep making your world a little smaller. Mm-hmm.